Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... Hi, I'm Les Dollarforce. I'm a Gumbangin Dangani man from the mid-north coast of New South Wales originally. I'm the Indigenous Entrepreneurship Director at Mindaroo Foundation Generation One and been involved in the startup ecosystem for the last six to eight years. So from raising capital with startups to scaling, exiting and everything in between. Can you tell me a bit about the work that Mindaroo does? Yeah, sure. We um, Mindaroo Foundation uh, was established by our co-chairs, Andrew and Nicola Forrest. And there's a range of initiatives uh, that we try and tackle on global problems and challenges. Uh, that could be from walk-free, which is eradicating modern slavery, to removing plastics from the ocean. And in the area I work in is Generation 1. And our mountaintop, effectively, our goal is to create employment parity within four Indigenous Australians within one generation. So from my startup background, it's a weird transition into a big not-for-profit like this and, and why. And it's um, we, the team I lead is purely around Indigenous entrepreneurship, how we create the opportunities uh, for Indigenous startups to thrive and survive and, and be successful. I'd love to go deeper on that and we might a little bit in the interview down the road, but um, if we don't, I'd love to do another interview with you outside of this kind of innovation ecosystem series that I'm doing. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so when did you first get involved in the startup ecosystem? When I first got involved, it was around the 2015, uh, 2014, like thereabouts. Um, and at, at the time, it, I was working for the WA public sector. So I had moved across from New South Wales all the way to Perth, and Perth reminded me of my own hometown, Port Macquarie. Um, and at that time, I was a little bit disenfranchised and seeing uh, some of the challenges that people experienced trying to, to gain employment within the public sector. And it was based purely on technical skills. 
So for us as uh, a colleague and I, let's just flip it on its head. Let's try and build a startup where we could um, recruit based on values. So Google at that stage just introduced their uh, recruiting algorithms. And there's a lot of controversy around can algorithms recruit better than humans? So it was around that 2015 mark, we jumped in, built a set of algorithms, built a little startup, uh, went through a myriad of challenges and then eventually raised capital uh, a couple of years later. So what, what were we, 2014, 2015? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, Western Australia, what, what is the ecosystem in terms of community size, you know, organizations around support? What did the landscape look like around 2014, 2015? The landscape was still uh, still evolving. Um, it was a few years before that. It was quite uh, quite immature, really, really quite new. But it was really led by uh, SpaceCube over here, one of the major co-working spaces. Uh, definitely led by that, and that created a lot of buzz in the town. Uh, at that time, we had a really big lull in mining, and so this is obviously a massive mining state. Uh, but right at the time, it was HR Tech was booming, so we were the right place, right time with our startup. Uh, but it was, it was a period of time where, like post GFC, iron ore price crashed, uh, and obviously as did mining royalties. But there's a there's a lot of investors in WA, uh, a lot of high net worth investors. So they're looking at placing their funds elsewhere. And at the time, interestingly, you saw a lot of backdoor listings. So rather than uh, raising um, capital through angels or even VC, startups are going straight to backdoor listings, which is unbelievable. They go to West Perth um, and meet with a, a, um, an investor or a, a firm that's, that it would provide them with a mandate about listing uh, on, on the ASX. And it was the point in time where... I think startups, I wouldn't say ruined it, but it uh, made it a lot more challenging. We had, or we had seen startups like OnePage back in the day, Refined, another one. Uh, but also the talk of the town back then was definitely Theranos. Like right now, looking at Theranos, the challenges that they're going through legally, Theranos, the buzz was everywhere. Everything, everywhere you'd see, you'd read, it was about Theranos. So it was the trends were definitely backdoor listings for startups and um, going straight to to IPO um, to to listing on the stock exchange, uh, which is an interesting time. Then the ASX changed their listing mandate. What, as outside of Space Cubed, was there, were there any other kind of big support or co working spaces or other support organisations, or was it kind of they were the main ga- game in town? Yeah, predominantly they were the main main players in town, and uh, they started around that two thousand and eleven mark. Uh, and and really, I mean, just a couple of desks in an old bank safe from Westpac. So they were certainly one of the uh, leaders over here. There are a few smaller co-working spaces, uh, but look, as of today, you look around today. There's from WeWork to Tankstream Labs, yeah. um, and then all of the very smaller co-working spaces all spread out because WA is the largest uh, or most spread out uh, capital city in the world. So there's a lot of land mass over here. And we're seeing a lot of um, other co-working spaces in the likes of Geraldton or the Southwest and Bustleton and, and locations like that. But Space Cube were definitely the pioneers. This is a bit of a side question. So, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But I've just, you've mentioned Space Cube 2011. People have, you know, we've got fish burners on the East Coast in Sydney 2012, River City Labs 2012, 2013 in Brisbane. It seems, yeah, is it a coincidence or not that all of these big co-working spaces um, come popped up at around the same time? And and do you think they were a catalyst to help things move along or was there a thing that prompted them 
And what was that thing that prompted all these co-working spaces to pop up, do you think? Yeah, it, like, and it, it, that's a really good question. And, and certainly uh, I did a bit of work for um, Tankstream Labs over here in Perth and established that um, business in, in Perth a few years ago. And, uh, and obviously new market uh, entrance, and then you have WeWork entering the space. But around that time, it was really popularized by the four-hour work week. And everywhere you'd see, everyone was reading that book back then. And I was probably, I wouldn't say one of the last, but I was just like, the title didn't grab me. And then I read it on a flight heading back home to New South Wales. And that, that, that drew me in. And it felt like around the time where Tim Ferriss' podcast was then starting to, to blow up, four-hour work week was out there then and all these co-working spaces were all just starting to pop up and I guess based on uh, a lot of podcasting from Silicon Valley and I think it was really driven across the country really around the same time whether it's fish burners and York Butter Factory and Space Cube and Tankstream Labs it was almost at this point in time this um, this natural transition into co-working spaces and it's really grown rapidly obviously COVID has impacted that sector massively, but seeing some of those really transition out and looking at other different business models as well. So jumping ahead to present day, I'd love to go back a bit more and talk about that, that kind of what happened between 2015 to, to present and how you've observed things change over that time. But for the moment, what are some of the gaps um, present day that you observe in the ecosystem? Some of the gaps, I think talent is widely distributed, but opportunity is not. So the, so the talent gap is a significant challenge for a lot of startups. So where you've got uh, some incredible uh, capital raises from the likes of Canva most recently, uh, was that 50% of their staff were employed last year and predominantly developers, it's really hard to find devs. Like it's it's one of Australia's most amazing successes, them in the Atlassian and in the startup sector. But the talent piece is really hard. So in WA in particular, trying to find developers and quality uh, developers uh, with experience is really quite hard, particularly in the um, in the crypto blockchain space as well. And being in that area since 2017, early 2017, end of 2016, seeing that even more so now with this uh, another resurgence of crypto. So where you've got talent across the country is really widely distributed, opportunities not necessarily. So for a different, a lot of different diverse groups, and that's the, I think the exciting thing we're seeing now around Airtree, their Explorer program or start mate with first believers. Some of the programs that we're trying to run is leveling the playing field for diverse groups uh, where they can access startups. Like for me, being born in Kempsey, I was raising capital with a, you know, an indigenous background. The challenges that we face, uh, lack of intergenerational wealth, um, access to networks, access to capital. And then there I was in, in 2017 raising capital in, in Sydney, Martin Place in uh, with uh, VC firms and having not done this before, it's certainly an understanding how to go through this. I think now we're seeing a lot of programs in place to support that, um, and particularly with people with diverse backgrounds, uh, whether uh, women, uh, Aboriginal people, people called backgrounds and people with disabilities. Uh, but then still trying to access the right talent in a massive geographical landmass across the country as well. So COVID certainly, I think, helped with that as well, uh, where we, when we were raising capital, we would have to fly every second or third day, Sydney, Melbourne, um, Singapore, uh, just, to, just to raise capital. Now we can just take um, video conferencing. Again, speaking about challenges, you listed off a couple there, but what are some unique, just out of curiosity, I've got Aboriginal ancestry, and and I'm curious to understand what are some of the unique challenges that you're seeing people you know 
the people that you're helping face? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. That's that's pretty much my entire role to to help uh, overcome some of those pretty significant challenges. Uh, starting off, we would for for Aboriginal people, those three key factors um, were probably the most important critical so we in Mindaroo Foundation Gen 1 we uh, launched a report earlier this year and we went out to hundreds of, of Aboriginal entrepreneurs across the country we had focus groups across the country uh, we commissioned a report into Indigenous entrepreneurship and what interestingly what came out of that was the lack of um, uh, networks or the access to networks um, access to capital financial literacy and lack of intergenerational wealth so for example uh, for a lot of Aboriginal people that have come from nothing, uh, you know, growing up in Kempsey, you didn't necessarily have much. But once you got a job, you'd hold on to it because you don't know what's going to happen next. And that lack of intergenerational wealth, then uh, to take a risk and throw it all in for a startup is, is for a lot of Aboriginal people, is very unlikely. So for, for me over here, and I'm fortunate with the background of my family that you know took risks and had a solid foundation for us, flying across the WA and then throwing in a full-time public sector job at the time when we were raising capital and my wife was six months pregnant. There was no salary for, for 12 months at that start, at that stage, but I, well, the team, we believed in what we were building and uh, we were two weeks away from losing everything and we eventually raised capital and we, we made it, but it was just through hard work and perseverance through those really those three key things if we had those networks and we see this quite a lot um where non-indigenous stumps not all but some would have some networks and typically access family and friends um rounds but we don't necessarily have so there's a, a number of barriers and that's why we there's a big focus not just for us there's a lot of different programs out there supporting agile entrepreneurs how to become investor ready or, or ready to invest and and certainly that's that's what i experienced especially looking around going i'm raising capital with all these vcs I've never done this before back in the day, uh, but who can I talk, talk to? What other Aboriginal person has raised venture capital and couldn't find anyone? Mm. So we didn't realize at the time we were one of the first Indigenous startups to raise venture capital. And then eventually it's then it's imparting our knowledge onto the next generation. Another quick side question. Talking about support out there for Aboriginal founders or Indigenous founders, What apart from Mindaroo, can you lift off a few... Like what, what places can people go to? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, some amazing groups out there. It's, it's really driven by three levels. One at a grassroots level. So from the likes of um, Indigitech over in Sydney, uh, definitely focus on um, tech-based and STEM roles uh, within the startup ecosystem. They do an amazing job in Sydney, but also moving to Melbourne. Uh, then you've also got like the, the co-working spaces that are shifting into New Guinea. You've got with the Wira Hub over here in WA. You've got the Yarb Hub, New South Wales Indigenous Chamber of Commerce. Um, also, Kinaway uh, do an amazing job. Then at the university sector, you've got a number of programs. RMIT have Nagami. Melbourne Business School have Murrah Masterclass. And I was, a, I was an alumni of the Murrah Masterclass. Uh, but it was just, there's, we're seeing definitely three levels, but it's been driven predominantly by this grassroots approach for um, Indigenous entrepreneurship. What are some of the areas that you think we're doing as a community really well in? And maybe also, what makes our ecosystem, if you can comment on this, what makes our ecosystem unique uh, compared to other ecosystems that maybe you've observed? I think community. Uh, the focus on community 
as a, at a macro level from uh, you know, at, at that Australian level that we, the community that we have, we really stick together and find in the corporate space that it's, it's really, no, it's extremely competitive. Whereas in the startup ecosystem, you see a lot of complementary support between startups and, and founders. Um, the other thing I think we're doing really well, and it's only been the last 12, probably 18 months, uh, it's been really incredible to see these new venture funds that are popping up. So typically, you know, to, to get into venture capital, you've got to have a, a large exit or have networks in the sector. However, seeing the rise of the, like AlphaWorks, Tractor Ventures or Flying Fox, there's this unique growth that's occurring across the country and forming those syndicates and venture capital funds uh, where people with that, that um, experience can get into investing into, into startups. Obviously, a challenge is being the sophisticated investor. The asset test is a massive challenge and it's been widely publicized. But even over here, we um, the programs we ran with the with the indigenous perspective, indigenous angels, the group, the group, the twelve of those angels went. Let's form the Black Angels. Let's form our own angel group and let's invest in the next generation of indigenous startups coming through. So I I think that's really quite unique and it's really amazing to see where a lot of young people, not just young, but people want to get into venture capital. But then there's those barriers and then you're starting to see like the likes of Tractor Ventures and Flying Fox breaking down those barriers. It's it's really incredible to see. Why do you think young people are, are attracted to that? Why they want to get involved in, in venture capital? Uh, I think a big reason is how, and it might sound silly and just completely left field, is house prices. There was an amazing article recently in Sydney Morning Herald about young people, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, but in particular Sydney, trying to enter the housing market and the average price of a house. So young people then forming together syndicates and then investing in startups as that opportunity, as that asset to move forward. So where they could be priced out of Sydney in, in the housing market, they can move to a regional location, work on a startup, but also pull their money together and invest in startups to have that asset where a house might be out of reach. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So this question it's written down. I don't know if you if you have an answer for this, but do you have an unpopular opinion about the startup about yeah anything in the startup ecosystem that people just aren't on the same page? Um, yeah, certainly. I think it's the, the it's almost state by state. So the unpopular opinion is uh, definitely raising capital in WA is hard. It's really split down the line in in Western Australia. Around if you're a good if you're a decent startup, you'll you will raise capital. Uh, but there's still, I, I, I think it's still extremely hard to raise capital in, in WA. There's, and obviously there's a variety of reasons, but Sydney, Melbourne is still far easier to, to raise capital. Uh, we lose a lot of founders that are moving over east and part of the role, my other role with on, on the board of startup WA is then how do we retain the talent in WA and uh, without all the founders moving to either Sydney or Melbourne and, and Brisbane including. But there's while WA has significant capital available for early stage businesses, they're not startups. They're predominantly junior mining exploration companies. And and asking other companies like the some of the big four, why? Like why is this we we like WA likes to take risks, but it's predominantly in mining, and mining is a hundred year old sector, and but people really know. But the the thing is that uh, one feedback was that you can um or some feedback that you can you can price a ton of iron ore. But you, it's hard to price uh, an early stage startup 
it's also tangible. Iron ore is is tangible, whereas a SaaS startup is quite intangible. And and so that's that's probably an unpopular opinion about raising capital in WA. I still think it is is hard. It is getting a little bit better, but we can certainly learn from New South Wales, the Sydney startup hub, um, and also Launch Vic in Victoria that the role of government plays as as an enabler. What do you think about the role of government in the startup ecosystem? Is it are you for it or against it or uh, in the middle somewhere? I'm I'm definitely in the middle. It's uh having worked in the public sector and worked for government uh, for eight years, you know I can certainly see how government can stifle innovation, and innovation certainly happens outside of government without a doubt. And even with um even with my startup, I had to leave the the public sector, but government plays a, as a, a role as an enabler. So if you look at the funding. New South Wales state government's provided Sydney Startup Hub or Victoria, the state government has provided Launch Vic is, is massive and that could create significant change. And you're seeing some incredible progress and programs and projects and outcomes in Victoria and obviously in New South Wales. Um, we are getting a little bit better, but because this state has focused predominantly on mining, tech and innovation has, has sort of dwindled a little bit in terms of startups, like not in the mining industry, you got automation technology is, is massive. But um, in particularly in WA, we've certainly seen uh, a lot more support. And uh, and at Startup WA, um, thanks to the state government, we're, we're running a number of programs for regional founders, female founders, and, and indigenous founders as well, like trying to keep this talent here and grow that ecosystem. But it should be an enabler, but not getting in the way of innovation. And if we look at an example, cryptocurrency back in 2016-17, three regulatory um, Commonwealth government uh, regulatory bodies couldn't agree on what crypto was. Was it a um, was it property? Uh, was it a security? Uh, for example, so it's it's certainly an enabler and um, and a decent enabler. What attracts you to this startup ecosystem? To founders. Uh, that's a really good question. And particularly, uh, we've just closed a massive program with 100 founders going through our Dream Venture Masterclasses. What attracts me, it, for me, it's the camaraderie. It's, uh, it, it, you don't have to, like when, like I was always interested in getting, getting into politics when I was in government, but you, you don't have to, you don't have to play politics in in startups. Like in government, obviously, it's what it, that's what it is. It's politics. It's you know, it's getting involved in the politics, and that wasn't me. My values didn't really align. There, my values align more in the startup ecosystem, where it's all about collaboration. And having exited my startup a few years ago, and then building the Tankstream um, Labs business over here in WA. And seeing all of these new startups coming on board, helping each other out, learning from each other, how they can scale. Like a lot of these startups have, were just on the, you know, working on the sniff of an oily rag. Um, some made it, some on a lot failed, obviously. But seeing that camaraderie and people sticking together as a team, it just felt, it sounds weird, but it felt like the indigenous community. It felt like being a part of mob. It felt like, you know, you're a part of something, you're a part of this movement. And it was really quite powerful to be part of that movement. Was it? Did you want to get involved in politics to to affect change? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Coming from Kempsey, uh, it was re- my parents made some big choices to provide a you know a stable environment for us as kids, my sister and I. And it was and well, how do we? It was always taught about giving back, like giving back to community, and it was just getting involved with uh, in working in government, getting and then you know, getting involved with politics. Is how do we create change for everyone and really level that playing field? 
but what I found working in the public sector is really, you know, driven by the government all the day, understandably. Uh, and so to come up with new ideas could be quite challenging and would take time. Whereas what I've found in leaving the public sector, if you've got an idea, like you've got now the tools, the technology, you don't need mm. like a $15,000 server mm. in, in a um, back room where you can just, uh, you, you've got AWS now, you can really scale ideas and execute on ideas. So seeing that from the startup sector to Mindoroo, you've got an idea, let's go for it. Let's, let's try it and not being afraid of failure as well. Yeah, I interviewed um, Steve Baxter last week um, and he said he thinks that b- being a founder, being an entrepreneur is one of the highest callings in life because you can really affect change. Yeah. You can really have a you know a direct effect on the world with, a, with your business um, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I see some of the, the participants coming through the master just recently. It's just... Yeah, it, it just sounds like it's uh, the Dream Venture Masterclasses and Digital Entrepreneurs going through one side, Indigenous Perspective and Digital Angels going through the other side. And then you've got, there's a live simulation pitch at the end <clears throat> and with the amazing support, you know, the Googles and uh, Microsoft and Blackbird, AirTree, Startmate, et cetera. But in in the process though, you've got, you, you're listening to people's stories, these Aboriginal founders' stories. And we had, it was I think it was the Melbourne pitch night. There were three out of the nine pitches uh, all burst into tears. It was just, and, and then everyone on the call, like what these founders went through and then the perseverance, the resilience and the building a business and that business then, that startup was that catalyst then to show all their family and all other mob out there that you can do this. Look at the hell that you know, as in, now you've gone through and then come out the other side to have a successful business and that was their calling. Like it was just to see 20, 30 other, and, and blokes as well, bursting in tears on the call. It was just, it gives you tingles down your spine to go, this is the change that we're creating. Like this is just, it is really powerful to be a part of just, not, you know, the startup movement, but to see some of the change that, that we're, we're creating. What what advice, giving, given all the founders you've, you know, seen and helped and, and seen at these pitch events, like what what advice would you give them? Uh, certainly perseverance and not being afraid to, go full-time into your startup. Like it's, it's, I've found that there's a lot of founders that sit on the sidelines and understandably, you know, you need some income coming in, but taking that risk and jumping straight into it. Uh, and it's the hours. Like the only way you're going to do that is pulling the hours and and, uh, and obviously getting out there, networks, building your networks. Um, you've got the Sydney Startup Hub, obviously with the uh, Tank Stream Labs and Fishburners and Stone and Chalk in there to build relationships and networks. Uh, getting out, getting amongst and uh, joining up, whether it's um, uh, launch, well, going to launch big pro- uh, programs, Startup WA, for example, but taking that risk. Have you got that idea? You've got an opportunity right now where technology can play a significant role. Is then jumping full time into it once you've got some traction, and then and then absolutely going for it. I've got a question here, which you'll see on your sheet too. It's, it's what has been a recent development in the startup world that you think has been a really big deal. But if we kind of shift that question a bit to, because we didn't really just talk much about the kind of you know. When did you say you moved moved over to Western Australia? Was it twelve years ago? Yeah. So what's you know maybe a big broad sweeping change or or set of smaller changes that have affected the ecosystem that you've observed over the last twelve years? Oh, it's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't say it'd be regulation or wouldn't be driven by government. It'd be driven by more of a grassroots movement. It'd be it'd definitely be the 
the development of these local venture capital funds and like a few of them have started like after work ventures have started over here in WA uh, local angel groups as well um, building their syndicates to to access some of these deals predominantly even when I started in 2015-16 it felt like you know as a high net worth uh, you could just go to 708s or sophisticated investors to, to seek investment. I think now there were really two things. Crowdfunding is really def- starting to level the playing field and particularly indigenous startups. There was one last week raised a million dollars for a non-alcoholic um, indigenous beer, the $10 million valuation. Uh, so crowdfunding has really leveled the playing field and shone a light on, on startups. Sorry, they, they raised a million bucks through crowdfunding? Yep, yep. Wow. Yeah, so Sobar, yeah, and, and then did just uh, non-alcoholic beer, uh, yeah, raised a million dollars just recently uh, on, I think it was on virtual on one of the platforms, crowdfunding platforms. But to see a lot of other Aboriginal business owners and entrepreneurs then invest in the uh, in Sober was really quite refreshing. Uh, from an Indigenous side, the Indigenous procurement policy has been one massive thing. There's been an injection of $4 billion dollars four billion dollars into the indigenous business ecosystem so you've got a lot of successful indigenous business owners but the startup equity investment side has just really plateaued and it's, it's only recently become a, a re, like a nascent sector but now starting to rapidly grow so from indigenous side it's definitely the indigenous procurement policy and now this rapid growth of indigenous startups coming through from high growth emerging tech to more standard traditional businesses from fashion retail um, mining then, uh, yeah, and then from a, um, from the point of view around uh, access to uh, funding. So predominantly where it's just high net worths, now these syndicates getting together and building like after work ventures or the Black Angels um, over here and these angel groups that are really leveling the playing field for all to get involved in investing in startups. The last question I have, not really a question, I want to give you a few minutes to just share something that's you know important to you that's on the top of your uh, head keeping in mind that i'm trying to create a documentary here that will really tell the story of the australian startup ecosystem we want policymakers, academics founders investors people from all corners of the ecosystem to hear this story what would you want to tell them any one of those categories or all of them what's the message that you know they need to hear from les the message i'd say is yeah, that talent is widely distributed, opportunity is not. So if we can help level that playing field and make it easier uh, for all to access um, or access uh, to become an entrepreneur and government, be, government being that enabler to support that, but obviously access to capital. That's one significant aspect. I think we look at uh, Harlem Capital in the US, a very small, it's the ecosystem of what's being built right now, but it's, it's, the, it's such an incredible, important ecosystem where it started from $2 million and, and built a $200 million fund just of a bunch of African-American founders. So the support that is, you know, I think is needed right now is then leveling the playing field for all to get into this space. Predominantly it was for high net worths from an investment point of view. Uh, and then this is an opportunity right now and is really quite timely that leveling the playing field from being just a sophisticated investor exclusive to those high net worths to then for everyone to be a part of this change startups then create significant change and we're seeing like the the programs we're running is impact social impact we know a lot of startups then create impact in the community and predominantly social impact it's not just for 
the, the, the profit. It's not just for the dollar and it's not just for a ticking a box for a CSR target. It's actually tangible change that the startup ecosystem is, is creating. And that's whether that's indigenous startups or female founder um, led startups, startups in general across the entire country. It's this the makeup of this ecosystem that is really needs in terms of leveling the playing field and accessing investment. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.